1: By the time of the American Revolution, we were the lower three counties of Pennsylvania, and they don't decide to break away from uh, Britain until the same day they decide to break away from Pennsylvania.
0: That's Kim Burdick, talking about the history of Delaware, its unique role in the American Revolution, and some of the important figures that led the fight. And she's our guest today. I'm Brady Kreitzer, And this is Dispatches. This episode is brought to you by Henry Holt and Company, publishers of the new book, The British Are Coming, The War for America, Lexington to Princeton, by Rick Atkinson, available now. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, I'm your host, Brady Kreitzer. On today's episode, we delve deep into the role of one of the smallest colonies and And the first state, Delaware, with Journal of the American Revolution contributor, Kim Burdick. We've done a lot of these shows, and I have interviewed a lot of people, but time and again, and this says something a little bit about me, uh, I find that my favorite shows and my favorite topics are the ones that A, I don't know much about, and B, that deal exclusively with the role of one specific person, or in this case, colony in the larger story of the revolution. Throughout this show, we've talked to a lot of people with strong geographic ties, individuals who are proud of where they're from, but more importantly for us, who know the intimate details of that region's history more than anyone else. I am a self-confessed homer. I live in western Pennsylvania. I could talk at length, in fact, I I do for a living, uh, about the history of Western Pennsylvania uh, in the American Revolution. And that's a very narrow focus, but I always appreciate someone willing to come on, uh, take pride in where they're from, and really give us a better, more complete understanding of that place uh, in the war that we know so well. Obviously, we know the war is is very complicated. Kim Burdick is going to do that today for Delaware. And she makes a lot of wisecracks throughout this interview about people not knowing where Delaware is and what Delaware is about. The famous scene from Wayne's World always comes to mind for me when Wayne finds himself uh, in front of the the green screen in Delaware and he doesn't know what to say about it. Uh, He says, hey, we're in Delaware. Um, But uh, that is sort of, you know, uh, it's sort of funny because... Obviously, Delaware is going to play a really important role in the revolution, as we're going to see today with uh, Kim Burdick. But even amongst people who are from there, and I visit there probably uh, once a year or so for various reasons, uh, there is this sort of lack of legacy, they think, or lack of specialty about the state. It is small, and it kind of goes to show the importance of history. Because Delaware is founded not as an independent colony but as an extension of the existing colony of Pennsylvania. I mean, throughout the colonial period, Delaware is simply known as the lower three counties of Pennsylvania. And because of that, it sort of gets folded into, I think, the larger history of the state of Pennsylvania and William Penn's legacy there and, uh, because it doesn't win its freedom or win its freedom or break free I guess we could say uh, until the revolution begins so still today you have individuals claiming that Delaware lacks that certain flair or or I guess you could say outstanding feature that we sort of all stereotypically know about Um, but that goes back to the colonial period you know if you need evidence that the colonial period matters in terms of shaping our view of the world and at least for the purposes of the 13 eastern colonies uh, shaping you know, the, the sort of character of these places Delaware is a really good example. Now that being said, uh, Delaware has plenty to be proud of and Delaware has a lot of really interesting people involved and I think most importantly in this study is you see that you know, when your when you're colony turns state is so small, almost everyone in the state has a familiarity and an intimate knowledge with their neighbors. So when we talk about Delaware's role in the revolution, you know, these aren't disparate people from across a vast expanse of land. These aren't people like, for example, from New York, which has very different cultures from Manhattan to upstate New York. I mean, when Delaware fights, It is very much a neighborhood block party in a way. And that makes it unique. I mean, that really makes it something uh, worth studying. So I really enjoyed this interview with Kim Burdick. I learned a great deal. And, you know, ideally, if we could do one of these for every colony uh, or state in the Union at the time, I think that would make a nice little series. Uh, But, you know, that's the future. Today, we're focusing on Delaware, the first state. And we're talking to a person who really knows it very well. Uh, So sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview with Kim Burdick. Kim Burdick, thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Tell us about your background.
1: Oh, my background. Most of my ancestors were... uh Connecticut patriots who came over into upstate New York with land grants after the war. So we were early settlers of, of New England and then also early settlers of upstate New York. Um, I, I do mostly volunteer stuff anymore. I'm retired, um, first of all, as House-Senate liaison at the state legislature. And then for 14 years after that, I taught American history at Del Tech in Wilmington. So now I'm the resident manager of the Hale Burns House, which was actually a Quaker house that was uh, the site of a council of war uh, three days after the Battle of Cooch's Bridge. So that's how I got interested in the Philadelphia campaign. And then I was, uh, for many years, the um the project manager of the W3R, the Yorktown campaign, and took 10 years off and recently came back and completed my year as the new president. And now I've retired from that again. <laughs> so, so mostly a life spent with Revolutionary War stuff. But I was a kid, you know, in the bicentennial era. So I guess most people my age are, are into the Rev War. So.
0: What first drew your interest into this topic?
1: Well, I have a lot of articles in the in jar anymore, but um, Hazlitt was—he's um, a Scotch-Irish Presbyterian who who died uh, around the same time as uh, oh, Battle of of Princeton. He was killed there, so he's. He he interests me just because he's from Delaware, and a lot of your listeners, I'm sure, don't even know where Delaware is. First thing I did when I moved down here was buy a T-shirt that said Delaware with big question marks after the where, (laughs) but it was the lower three counties of Pennsylvania, and when I... First got married, we lived not too far from Valley Forge, and people up there were horrified that I was going to move to Delaware. Uh, they go from they go to the Jersey Shore, not even to the Delaware beaches. Uh, Farthest south they come is right over the border for tax- free shopping so delaware is is kind of an unknown place, so I got interested in it just simply because my friends in New York State and Pennsylvania really didn't know where it was.. <laughs>
0: How would you summarize the role or the legacy of Delaware from the colonial perspective? What was its identity in colonial America?
1: Well, early on, it was actually uh, Dutch and Swedish. And William Penn was actually a newcomer. (laughs) So when William Penn didn't actually land in Philadelphia, he actually landed further down the Delaware River down here. And... Um, so it's, it's a mixed history. It's, it's really part of New Amsterdam. And I actually grew up on the Delaware river kind of near Sydney, New York and green New York. And it's, I didn't realize that this Delaware River was our Delaware River till so I probably lived here for 10 years. So it's it's not well known. It's part of New Amsterdam. Then the Swedes came in, and there's a big Swedish colony here. And then later it became English. So by the time of the American Revolution, <clears throat> we were the lower three counties of Pennsylvania, and they don't decide to break away from uh Britain until the same day they decide to break away from Pennsylvania. Now, any of you guys who have been in 4-H realize that's three counties, right? So to me, even as a grandchild of of uh, super rev war patriots, it seemed like a really stupid idea to me. If you think of historic Newcastle as this beautiful colonial town right on the river, and when the the patriots were upstairs in the old Newcastle Courthouse, which is now a museum, looking out the window. You could see British warships going up and down the river, and they decide that they've had a belly full of John Penn. They're done with him. They're going to break away from Pennsylvania and from Britain, which is crazy. This is making a state the size of a 4-H district whose eastern border is a river full of British warships. Like a crazy idea. (laughs) So most of the people down here, the Dutch and the Swedes had intermarried with a few English that were here. Uh, England had never been that bad to them, and so it was not a rah-rah Fourth of July uh, bicentennial story down here. Lots of Quakers uh, who didn't fight, lots of Episcopalians who were loyal to Britain, and and then about a third, Scotch-Irish Presbyterian. So I always say I can say bad things about all of them because my ancestors were all of the above, right? <laughs> but Delaware was uh, an unexpected um, happening. And so June 15th of every year, we celebrate Celebration Day in, in historic Newcastle. But that's the day they separated from, from Pennsylvania as well as from Britain. That's the day they decide to sign the Declaration of Independence.
0: What was Delaware's journey to the American Revolution like? What was its politics like? You've mentioned that already. Maybe elaborate a little more on that if you could.
1: Well, two-thirds of the state, um, they made themselves a state. They were the lower three counties of Pennsylvania. And actually, the river was the road. The Delaware River was really the highway so especially when they were dutch and swedish you know the other side of the river over in new jersey was was part of the same colony as we were so it's it's just um i don't know it's mostly the scotch irish who who already hated the British for the things that were going on in Scotland that forced them to Northern Ireland and like my own ancestor uh, James Handy, Handy, they came they came over here as fast as they could and they you know people don't lose their uh, their ancestors' feelings about places so when the Scotch Irish came to Delaware, they're really coming to Pennsylvania and they're they're coming to live their own life so when when the war breaks out, it's people like Thomas McCain and George Reed and other uh, Scotch-Irish who, who are the leaders of, of the fight down here. So it's a, it's a different story than, than you might think. And well, there are a lot of Quakers here, being the lower three counties of Pennsylvania, and actually where William Penn landed, you can kind of imagine it wasn't a popular idea.
0: How did Delaware first organize a volunteer army in seventeen seventy six because from what you 're saying that was no small feat
1: well it 's kind of kind of intriguing, you know because they um, they actually got about eight hundred men and and Delaware is really small as i mentioned it 's only three counties, Newcastle county only had thirty seven thousand two hundred some people during the uh, the Philadelphia campaign. So the whole state itself, maybe not even 100,000 people. So to get 800 uh, people to sign up, that that's pretty amazing. And in the Delaware archives, actually, there's a list. And when they're trying to get militia men and soldiers to join, it's, it's not easy. People say, well, for one thing, you know, in the fall the crops are coming in. This is big farmland down here. Um people are saying, No, my wife's having a baby, no, my crops are coming in, I'll go if the rest go. So it was it was not easy for uh Delaware to get eight hundred men, but but they did and they met all all through these three counties. They would meet in places like Historic Christiana, which today seems like nothing. It's a crossroads, but it was a north-south, uh, east-west crossroads. They met in a lot of taverns, and they they, they kind of drummed up their business. But they were um, set to go not long after um, they were told to by Philadelphia, at which time they were still part of Pennsylvania. So that's a... Um, I don't know. I I just think it's interesting. But they were told in September of 1775 that they had to draft militia regulations and raise and supply the troops, and by January they already had done it. So they had uh, Hazlitt, Gunning Bedford, Thomas McDonough, Joseph Montgomery, James Tilton, Robert Ball, Thomas Holland, but each one had one captain, one lieutenant, uh, second lieutenant, ensign, four surgeons, four corporals, a drummer, and a fifer, and at least 68 privates. And amazingly enough, it became the Army's largest battalion. And then not long after they got all their guys together, the Roebuck was a British warship that was patrolling the river. That came into the um, Delaware River and Bay, which is a direct shot across the ocean from, from Europe, so um, they were sent down there while they were supposed to be going to Pennsylvania for training. So it, it's, a, it's a more interesting story than I ever thought it would be coming from someplace else.
0: <laughs> you mentioned a lot of important names from your article. Uh, who was John Haslett?
1: Well, he was Scotch-Irish. He had actually been a, a Presbyterian minister in, um, in, um, in Ireland. Um, and he was an Ulsterman, and when he came over, he was he was pretty young, but he had been married and his wife died, so he left his little girl in Ireland with his relatives and came over. And he fought, when as soon as he got here almost, he fought at Fort Duquesne and was involved in the French and Indian War. And then um, he, he really got into all of this stuff. When the rumbles of war came out, he was one of the first ones to sign up. And he became a, a very good, um, a very good soldier.
0: Talk about Delaware's role at the Battle of Long Island, because as your article states, it seems like these guys are everywhere.
1: Well, they were um, actually fairly important, and it's—I well, don't know—it just—it just seems odd to me that they would be. Um, so important in Long Island. Of course, I'm from New York State. I never heard of Delaware when I lived up there. <laughs> but they were under um, uh, Lord Sterling, who was, of course, an American, uh, William Alexander. And they were responsible for holding Gowanus Road on the far right of the Continental Army line. And they they were very good. They were very brave. And they were... Um, actually well-trained by this guy's experience in the French and Indian Wars. He seemed to have have drilled them better or something, but they they did what he said. So they had, um, I don't know, Washington himself lost about 970 men, and more than 1,000 were taken captive, which is about half of the total number of troops engaged in that battle. But of the Delaware regiment, only two privates were killed, two officers, and 23 men were missing. So they were pretty brave. And then um, when Washington, uh, he let Delaware and Maryland soldiers be the rear guard, which for some reason being at the end was a big deal. So he Washington withdrew the army, and these guys were left to kind of uh, protect everybody else.
0: What sort of role did the Delaware troops play in the New York and New Jersey campaigns.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, this Mamoronic uh, New York thing, they, they were up against Rogers Rangers. And of course Rogers Rangers were a big deal in the French and Indian war. By the time of the rev war, uh, Robert Rogers was still on the British side. So they decide that the Americans are going to cut off Rogers, uh, Regiment from the bulk of General Howe's army. And Hazlitt's given that responsibility. Uh, For some reason, the old documents say that uh, Delaware was the only ones that looked and paraded like real soldiers. (laughs) So they had lived through Long Island and it's only a few miles down the road and, you know, not, not too far from Long Island, but they'd made it through the Battle of Long Island and now here they are, so... Hazlitt himself was writing to Caesar Rodney, who was, you know, not just the guy on our quarter, but (laughs) he was actually a a pretty important Delaware politician, but he was a buddy of Hazlitt's. And he said, Sterling ordered me out with 750 men to attack the enemy's outpost 10 miles from here, which was done, and their guards forced, like it's no big deal, right? (laughs) So at Mamoromic was actually what. Chris Malarczyk from First Delaware is actually somebody you should be talking to about all of these issues. But apparently the Delaware regiment was really uh, pretty heroic, and they got 60 stands of arms and blankets and plunder. And they um, and they're trying to cut off Robert Rogers. And what Hazlitt says is that Rogers sculpted off into the dark. <laughs> so I don't know my cousin Robert Rogers would think about that, but he yeah. did. <laughs> but but anyways, um, they, they really were um, pretty brave, and they, they really um, kind of shone in, in that particular um, activity.
0: You mentioned in your article that there were some Delaware men at the crossing of the Delaware River, and of course the Battle of Trenton and Princeton. Uh, what was that like for them? Because that sort of feels like home field advantage to a degree.
1: Well, actually, most of them had gone home, which seems funny, but their enlistment period was over right around christmas, and so of course, they left <laughs> they were there there weren 't very many of them from the eight hundred many of them had been killed or wounded, or they had just given up and gone home but um they they were there um, Hazlitt himself of course did cross um also caesar rodney 's brother Thomas Rodney, who kind of surprises me because locally people always say, oh, Thomas Rodney, no big deal. But the more I read about Thomas Rodney, Caesar Rodney's little brother, the more impressed I am. He brought, I don't know, around 30 militiamen up from Kent County, Delaware, clear up to um, well, Washington's Crossing, state parks in Pennsylvania, but it's all a piece of that same land. And so they walked and they they went up to help Washington. So it was a a mixed bag of a, a handful of Hazlitt's men and of these volunteers who, who actually walked up there to, to join Washington and crossing the Delaware. So it was uh just like ninety two guys. They're not not a lot of Delawareans left. Their their enlistments had already expired. <clears throat> so Hazlitt is very brave and he he sticks with it so that he's, he's killed in the Battle of Princeton, which is only, you know, like a week or two after the crossing of the Delaware.
0: You've mentioned already the fact that Delaware is one of these places that's not well understood in the American Revolution, its role in colonial America. Uh, you are a native, you are a local, you know this probably better than anyone. What do you think the legacy of Delaware should be in the American Revolution?
1: Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I guess just because you're little doesn't mean you can't be powerful. <laughs> and, and not being very big myself, I can say that, right? <laughs> but but anyways, they, um, they, they were courageous. And you figure what John Adams once said, but actually about the French Revolution, that it was a third, a third, and a third. But it's true in almost every war. It's even true... Right now in the political climate, a third that really don't care as long as everything's okay, or a third that feel passionately left or passionately right. It's true in Delaware. You could see this very strongly in the Revolutionary War that there were a lot of, of neutral people. So they, um, after the war, to me, is what's interesting because they quickly realized they're this little teeny state. It's only three counties in the east border is the river and so they they quickly pulled together to rebuild um rebuild their state as a as a friendly neighborly place so it it that interests me as much as the war I'm, i'm really actually interested in the civilians and what happened to them during the war
0: kim burdick thank you for joining us thank you The music played in this episode included works by Kevin MacLeod and the Sturbridge Colonial Militia. Any unauthorized reproduction or use of this podcast without the express written permission of the Journal of the American Revolution is strictly prohibited. For everyone here at Dispatches, I'm Brady Kreitzer saying so long.